Well, good morning again, and uh, <clears throat> welcome to our study of Job. Thanks for the uh, announcements, Jim. <clears throat> Seemed like I was... Uh... Yeah, so hopefully everybody can join us for lunch today out at the uh, tent. I bet uh, Big Dave's getting stuff set up, isn't he? Yeah. I'm supposed to get out there. <laughs> you rebel. <laughs> Well, we got uh, our brother Philip here today from the Boston area, and I think you're going to visit the group when they come out for the mission trip, aren't you, or something? Yeah, I've been, I've been attending the fellowship out there with there. With uh, Mike Renault. Yeah. Okay. Renault. So yeah, you're you're just live about a half hour, hour away from 45 minutes. So that's that's uh, really cool, Phil. So I'm glad you're getting plugged in out there and getting to meet some good people in your area. <coughs> <clears throat> and I, uh, I failed to bring my, I failed to bring my uh, cords to connect my computer. So anyway, uh, we'll just do old hard copy paper stuff this morning. <coughs> and <coughs> I just wanted to start with the introduction. Uh, if you've got your little uh, folder. <clears throat> so we're, we'll be on week two, so you're about three pages in, maybe four. But uh, this is our study of Job. And kind of our thesis for this study is we can trust God even when we suffer. And suffering comes in many different forms. There can be uh, physical suffering and pain. There can be emotional and maybe both sometimes and uh, PTSD. Those are those are real things. And uh, just uh, gave you some introduction about that last week. As 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 a pastor, you know, I've talked to parents who've lost children. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, one of the uh, parents that comes here, their 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 daughter overdosed, and so just uh, talking through both the person that overdosed and with their parents so there's interesting things and some of you know I, I did jail ministry for six years and uh, I've had probably close to 10 people tell me that going to jail was the best thing that happened to them and we just don't think like that but through that you know God got their attention God gave them the wake-up call or whatever you might call it, or they hit their rock bottom and they looked up to the Lord. And uh, we, we don't think like that. I, I also had, <clears throat> it's been years ago now, and I can't even remember the man, that he told me that cancer was the best thing that happened to him. And uh, again, we we think of suffering as a, as a bad or negative thing, but we seen last week that it um, <clears throat> the tribulation work with patience and patience experience and experience hope and so suffering can uh, be a good thing and it'll probably be a couple weeks from now I want to give you some reasons for suffering Uh, kind of the 
the uh, the premise of Job's friend, they, they think he's suffering because there's sin in his life, and that is a reason for suffering. Some, you know, many of us uh, have children in this room, and uh, on some level, we disciplined our children because we love them. We we want to correct them, and so that is a reason for suffering. And the child that's being punished, you know, doesn't think that that's a good thing. But the Bible says it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness. It it brings about a change in their life, in our life, when we are corrected. And so that that's one of the reasons for suffering, and that's kind of the assumed reason of Job's friends. <clears throat> but uh, not necessarily so. There, there's other reasons for suffering. And uh, I can tell you that uh, probably going broke farming was the best thing that happened to Angie and I. We were... Uh, our first first year after our marriage, we went out farming on our own. We cash rented land. We we bought machinery. We bought cattle, and it was just a drought and it was a horrible year. And we lost everything the year after we got married. And so that was difficult. But uh, we worked for my dad for a couple years and kind of got all our debts settled. And uh, in '85, we moved to the city. And uh, the very first day I worked at my job, I met a man who led me to the Lord. Uh, It was seven years after that. It was in 1992 that I accepted Christ as my Savior. And... uh, but it was a it was a valley. These valleys uh, in our life was going broke farming, and yet that's what God used to get us to the city. It got me saved. Uh, the guy that led me to the Lord goes to church here. It's how we got plugged in here uh, over time. And so, anyway, can, can we say Amen to that that suffering can be used for good? And maybe you have uh, experience as well. <clears throat> and so. Uh, I used a big word on the top right-hand corner there. The book of Job, it's, and I don't even know if I'm saying this right, Theosity on Trial. And I gave you kind of a definition under miscellaneous there. Theosity, it is to answer the question of why a good God permits the manifestation of evil. And so, uh, can a good God still be good? Can He still be all-powerful? And if He is all-powerful, why does He allow suffering? Why does He allow hunger? And uh, <clears throat> So some of Job maybe don't answer the question of why as much as how good people should uh, suffer. And Job is an example for us. And uh, we're, we're going to see kind of uh, God's uh, interaction with the devil uh, about this very topic. So, <clears throat> the uh, before we get into the book very much, I wanted to go over. I think it's the last page in your folder about this chart. <clears throat> if so, if everybody can look at this chart for a minute, because th- this is very enlightening and. <clears throat> And this is not talking bad about anybody, but a lot of us have trouble of maybe making a timeline in our minds of who lived when and how long people lived and kind of being able to put our mind around it. And so uh, I was hoping to have this on the TV, but I, I, like I said, I didn't bring my cords. But if you'll look on the far left, <clears throat> if you'll look up here for just a second... There's kind of a, a vertical line here, and that sh- it shows the words about 4,000 B.C. Does everybody see that? 
there's kind of a vertical up and down line that says so uh, there's a guy that lived I think it was in the 1600's named Bishop Usher and he's famous for uh, developing kind of Bible chronology so if you have a Bible that has dates in it that was probably dates that uh, Bishop Usher uh, and basically all he did was kind of count backwards from where we're at now and develop the time of Christ and and it you know the Bible actually says how long Adam lived, how old he was when he had children, and so on and so forth. So as everybody see in the top left corner is as Adam, and the Bible says Adam was the first man, and we be, we believe he lived around 4000 B.C. Usher's chronology has him at 4004, so just a little over 4000 years. And when we say B.C., what does B.C. mean? Before Christ. Before Christ. <clears throat> And so, but uh, what what this guy that developed this chart does is he starts with the year zero. So instead of saying 4004 B.C., he starts with zero. So this counts forward from the, the time that Adam and Eve lived on planet Earth. And uh, you'll see that there's about, well, there is seven people in the Bible that lived to be over 900 years old. I think they're all listed on this chart. Many of these names we know, and uh, you'll see a square around Adam's name, and, and, and ten generations later is the guy named Noah. And the Bible says that in the 600 year of his life that there was a flood on the earth. And then he lived 350 years past the flood. And so does everybody see kind of toward the right of your chart there's another vertical line that represents the flood of Noah. Does everybody see that? And so that that represents... It's got a year there, about 1656. Uh, that's how many years past Adam. It's about, we would say, 2340 years B.C. About. <clears throat> and so that was a, a good chronology on when the flood of Noah was. And uh, the Bible says that the flood waters covered the uh, highest hills of the mountains. I think it's by 15 cubits or something like that. So you can picture Mount Everest being underwater by so many feet or, or yards. And uh, you'll notice uh, three of his boys. Who were who his Noah's sons? Who knows that? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Yep. And so Shem is listed here just because that's the genealogy of the Jewish people. And so Shem uh, was about 100 years old when the flood took place. And the Bible says that uh, Noah's three boys and his wife and their wives, so eight people. I, I, I listened to something this week that said that uh, there's a town uh, in Turkey near the mountains of Ararat. And uh, I forget the name of it, but the town means eight people right near Mount Ararat. There's a town that's name means uh, the town of eight people. I heard that. Isn't that amazing? It's just uh, very near the mountains of Ararat. In Turkey today, there's a city, a town, that's name means eight people. So the Bible histories are true. And you can kind of see uh, his genealogy. And the next... uh, 
Well, there's a square around Peleg or Peleg. And then uh, in the lower right is, is Abraham. And he is uh, the first Jew. He's the father of the Jewish people. Uh, he was given the sign of circumcision. And uh, you see his uh, genealogy after him, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And these are very, very famous people in the Bible. They're very famous to the Jewish people. And if, if you look... Uh, at the far right that I've highlighted that I've drawn in, you see the name Job. And so Job uh, lived shortly after Abraham's death, and he would have been alive around the time of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> uh, now turn in your Bibles uh, with me to uh, Job chapter 1. I just felt like this chart was kind of a good introduction because these are names we know and it's good to be able to kind of place. But uh, uh, Brother Emmett, would you, would you read uh, chapter 1 and verse 1 for us? I think you maybe read that last week. There was a man in the land of whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and his fears evil. Yes, so here's this man named Job and he was in the land of Uz or Uz. Uh, Uze, I don't know. But uh, I think all these maps kind of showed this. But... Uh, It's this land of Eden here. I don't know if any of the maps had the... the uh, I think Uz or Uz is, is, is a bigger part, and, and so Edom is part of that. So you can kind of picture, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and uh, Jacob living, you know, in Israel. And over here to the south would have been where Job lived. So Job would have been contemporary with Isaac. And uh, Isaac is famous for uh, some of the enemies of Abraham uh, plugged up the wells that he dug. And so Isaac is kind of famous for uh, digging out the wells of his father Abraham. And to our knowledge, Isaac never did leave the promised land. That's one thing he was kind of famous for, is uh, never leaving the promised land. So that that would be good that that would be said of all of us. <clears throat> Just never leaving the promises of God. So... Anyway, uh, it's, it's a little bit debatable how, how old Job actually was, but that, that's an approximate time frame. And so the book of Job, we said this last week, is really the oldest book of our Bible chronologically. In fact, I think on your handout I, I put, uh, if you want to fill in your first blank, uh, Job was probably written approximately 300 years before who? What did you say? Christ. Nope, nope. Who wrote the Pentateuch? That's our first Moses. So uh, Job was written about 300 years before Moses lived. We we know Moses. Uh, he was of the tribe of Levi, and uh, Levi was one of Jacob's children. So if if you think of Jacob on this handout. Uh, one of Jacob's boys was Levi, and uh, the descendants of Levi would be uh, Aaron, 
and uh, and Moses and uh, his sister Miriam. <clears throat> so yeah, so Job was written about. What's that? Yeah, put Moses in the blank. I I usually write these on the board. So yeah, your first blank is Moses. <clears throat> and I I put that Job died about 15 years uh, before the Exodus of Egypt. And uh, anyway, I, th- these are these are all not exact numbers. And uh, but anyway, I, I wanted us to at least be thinking. Is there any other questions about this chart? Uh, you might take some time and if you can read that fine print there later today. Yeah, it's really cool. You know, one thing that it, it even says at this point, and kind of, that when you look at the lining up, you know, like we talked about it here before, like, like Adam could have talked to Noah's dad. Ah. You know, Seth could have talked directly to Noah. And then yeah. And could have talked directly to Abraham. They did. Yeah. I'm sure they did. So, I mean, when we think about Moses telling the the Genesis account, it's really not that far removed. That's true. A few generations. That is very true. You know, grandparents or whatever. I think that's cool. Yeah, so, yeah, Moses could have talked to the descendants of Abraham who talked to the descendants of, yeah, so they're two or three generations removed, yeah. Yeah, cool. <clears throat> and most of us have heard of Enoch up there, the, the seventh from Adam. And uh, essentially he's a type of the church because he he's uh, one of two men in the Old Testament that did not die. He The Bible says that uh, he walked with God and he was not for the Lord took him. And I think Hebrews says he was translated. He he was raptured away while he was alive. Yeah, Philip. I, I maybe just mean that where is Moses on this chart? <clears throat> well, that's what I was saying. Moses was a Levite who's a descendant of Jacob. So Jacob, Le- Moses is not on this chart, but uh, you can kind of connect him with Jacob. Uh, I think it's his third-born son was Levi. Uh, and the Levites were the priestly tribe, and Aaron was really the first high priest, and Aaron is Moses' brother. So, yeah, good, good, good question, good, good feedback, and uh, you know, all of these people's name means something. And Methuselah there is the oldest man that ever lived, nine hundred and sixty-nine years. And he died the year of the flood. And uh, some kind of speculate that when Enoch named his son Methuselah, and when Enoch began to walk with God, he realized that uh, Methuselah's name uh, means uh, when gone, uh, deluge, or it will come. So when gone, judgment will Methuselah means when gone, judgment will come. And so Enoch began walking with God uh, just knowing that when his son was uh, died, that judgment would come. So, and so he died the very year of the flood. And so, just all of this is very instructional. Uh, Lamech, the son of Methuselah, he lived 777 years. So even there's a 777 there. 
and uh, Noah's name means comfort and uh, anyway all, all these things are very instructive and we could talk a long time but anyway I wanted you to have that chart I think Pam asked me something about the time in which he lived does this help a little bit Pam I give you that chart you give me which you gave me that I don't remember where I got it so thank you I uh, you may give me originally so thank you I feel like I've had it for a long time but before I knew you but anyway thank you yeah it's a good one it is a good one all right so uh, all right on your handout now Uh, Roman numeral one so this section deals uh, in fact turn with me to Romans chapter five I kind of want everybody to see this you can see it in the English but I I wanted to throw out a a Greek word to you today because it is instructive so under letter A we put that Job is a type of Israel in the tribulation period and if you're around here very long you, you might hear that word typology and so I wanted you to maybe have an understanding of it but a type is a person or an event or a thing or a ritual in the Old Testament that prefigures something in the New Testament in other words it's something physical that illustrates a spiritual truth and other Bible words for types are print, form, pattern, fashion, manner example, ensample, and figure and uh, now, now let's look at Romans 5, 14 and I, I want you to see this from the, from the Bible so Romans 5, 14 uh, Pam would you read that? The the word that goes in your blank is this word figure. The, the Bible says that uh, that Adam the Pam just read there it says talks about Adam's transgression who is the figure of him that was to come and in the, if you had a Greek lexicon it would use the word that, that that's the English rendering of the the word figure there. <clears throat> so, uh, some of us, not all of us in this room, remember a typewriter. <laughs> but my mother was a typing teacher. She she actually taught shorthand. Probably nobody knows what that is. I've seen it. But she taught shorthand. It was kind of a, a way to take down dictation. Um but anyway, uh, 
so we think of a typewriter so there on a typewriter there's a metal bar that has a T on it and it hits a ribbon and the ribbon hits your paper and it leaves a T and that that T is the type and the metal bar that came down and hit the paper is the anti-type so so uh, the Bible says Adam is a figure of him that was to come and you know uh, the Bible actually calls Jesus in, in 1 Corinthians I put the verse there uh, he is the last Adam he, he's the second man he's the last Adam so it's just kind of weird uh, you know Adam sinned in a garden and Jesus was crucified and there was a garden there the Bible says there's just uh, many ways that Jesus and Adam have some similitudes as uh, Pam read and so anyway uh, so now when, when we say when we say that Job is a type of Jew, the Jews in the tribulation what do we mean by that? Well uh, letter B on your handout Job means cry of woe or one persecuted or hated so uh, it's kind of interesting you, you see people maybe hate their job well job is this is the same word as job <laughs> so uh, if you're if you're working a job and you feel like you're persecuted well so did job uh, so job even in his name it represents the the Jewish people it's it's the time of Jacob's trouble it's the time of uh, tribulation and even great tribulation <clears throat> and now look even uh, look in the book of Job again let's all turn back to Job and go to Job 29 and I tried to look for this the Bible doesn't really say how long Job was persecuted for. Uh, the book itself has 42 chapters, and that that there's 42 months in the Great Tribulation. But uh, 29 uh, two, uh, Stacy, if you if you'd like to read, would you read 29 two for us? Yeah. Yeah, so Job here toward the end of the book is saying I wish it was as in as in months months past uh, when I you know God preserved me. It was before before his affliction was months ago. And so uh, we know there's 42 months in the Great Tribulation. It's it's half. It's three and a half years. And so very possibly Job's tribulation maybe lasted that long. Uh, it, it at least happened over a period of months. And so I, I wanted us to see that. So that that's what goes in your blank is just the word months. And Jim, we got to get a new marker here. Let me see. Yeah, I noticed that when I'm doing that. Uh, you want a black one? One good black one. Is there? Let's throw that away. Yeah, here we go. All right. Maybe Angie can fix this up. So, and then uh, in chapter two of Job's of Job, we can go there if we want. His friends 
sat with him for seven days. So in Job 2, and uh, this is, you know, we kind of got to take our hats off to his friends in, in this verse, Job 2. In verse 13, the Bible says, uh, well, let me go back up to verse 11. It says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, come upon Job, they came every one from his own place. Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namanite. For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off, they knew him not. Uh, they lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. And so they're just uh, those verses are just kind of pregnant with meaning, aren't they? Uh, so they, they were good friends. They, they came to comfort their friend. They didn't even recognize him. They, it says they knew him not. He was so uh, such a bad... I don't know if you've ever seen... You haven't seen somebody for a while and maybe you visit them in the hospital. It's like, whoa, I did that this last week. Uh, this lady had COVID twice and so she just looked really bad. She lost 25 pounds and I, I just didn't even recognize her. I, I said, is so-and-so here? And she said, yeah, that's me. I'm like, I didn't even recognize her. Like, I'm sorry. So... Uh, <clears throat> So they sat down with him for seven days, and uh, and and the uh, the seven year tribulation is called Daniel's seventieth week. So anyway, just some similarities about Job and being a picture or type of the Jew in the tribulation period. And then uh, I wanted just to think about this. I meant to draw this on the board beforehand, but but uh, bear with me for just a minute. Let's see if I can do this. <clears throat> I'm going to try to draw two lines here. <clears throat> so Ezra, Nehemiah, is Esther, yeah. Esther, uh, Job, yeah. Job, Psalm, uh, proverb, and uh, I think we did it this way: proverb and Ecclesiastes, and uh, I'll do Song of Solomon. <clears throat> so, you know, some people ask, you know, why isn't our Bible written chronologically? If we say Job was the first book of the Bible written historically, why isn't it the first book in our Bible instead of Genesis? And uh, th- this that I'm about to show you, I, I mean, I didn't come up with it, but uh, I believe it's partly wh- why we say the Bible was written dispensationally. 
instead of chronologically, and, and, and hopefully this will make sense as we kind of go through it. But uh, Ezra is about a, a, a Gentile king, uh, that's King Cyrus, and he declares that the Jews can return to the land. Right? So uh, we, we just studied Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, uh, at the end, is where the king of Babylon conquers Jerusalem and takes the children of Israel into Babylonian captivity. And they were there for 70 years. And then uh, Cyrus, a Gentile king, says, Okay, Jews, God puts it in his heart. Jews, you go rebuild your land. And uh, some people have have made note that uh, after... After World War One, uh, I believe it was Lord Balfour uh, in 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 England, in Parliament makes a declaration that allows uh, the Jews to go back to the land. It, it's around the turn of the 20th century, uh, early 1920, maybe that this happened and uh, it's right at kind of the peak of what we call Zionism and uh, Jim talked about this not too long ago this uh, Theodore what's his name uh, Herzl Herzl yeah the gunpowder man he, he's kind of uh, a prominent person that uh, kind of helps make Zionism per, uh, popular but uh, the Jews just kind of they get scattered and dispersed and uh, he, he wants he believes they should come back to the land and, and that, that's kind of what happens around World War I with this Belfar declaration it's like saying it's okay for Jews to go back to the land and that's similar to what happens in Ezra right so I'm just trying to kind of make some connections here and in Nehemiah uh, Nehemiah, he he is the king's cup, but he's still in uh, Babylon. Uh, but they're under uh, uh, it's not under Babylon rule. It's uh, it's the the Medes and the Persians, and uh, the king tells him because he is just heartbroken that. Uh, Jerusalem is still even though the Jews go back to the land uh, and uh, this guy named Zerubbabel he, he builds the, the, fa- the foundation of the temple Nehemiah realizes how vulnerable they are to the enemies because there's no walls so Nehemiah builds the walls in Jerusalem and uh, we kind of connect that to uh, at the end of World War II, Israel becomes a nation. And it, it's our own Missouri president, uh, Harry, Harry Truman, that he announces, he declares that Israel is a state again. And so that, that happens. So now, now Israel, not only are the people in the land, but at the end of World War II, uh, they have borders. They have essentially kind of walls like Nehemiah did. And and then we come to the book of Esther. <clears throat> and at the beginning of the book of Esther, there was a uh, 
there was a Gentile queen named Vashti and it just happened to be a seven day feast that the king has and he calls for his queen and she refuses to go and so he strikes her he, he banishes her and takes her off the throne and he makes he essentially makes Esther the queen and she's a Jewish lady and so uh, we connect that <clears throat> with uh, kind of a picture of the rapture I'll put that here because you and I and probably people anybody that's watching online we are all Gentiles and and that's what happens at the rapture of the church the church is primarily a Gentile bride for uh, Jesus Christ he is the bridegroom we are the bride we have this love relationship and uh, at the rapture of the church we're caught up to be with him uh, to meet him in the air and uh, essentially after we leave planet earth uh, the Jews are going to be starting their tribulation. So it's kind of like the removal of Vashti, the Gentile queen, and the Gen- and the Jews are in focus again. And uh, it's Romans 9 that says that right now the, the Gentiles are making the Jews jealous. It says they're jealous because of our relationship with the Lord. And uh, so that's, that's part of the reason... Uh, for the church is to make the Jewish people jealous of, of our relationship with, with God. And then uh, then what happens, the next book of the Bible is Job. And that what happens after, after the uh, rapture is the tribulation takes place. <clears throat> and uh, that, that's the set. So that is where Job fits in the line of books of our Bible as well as uh, I don't know what I was going to say there but anyway it, it, it connects with the tribulation period in history and then uh, I think this so, so your, your blank there is the word tribulation and so that, that's kind of how it fits in our Bible and then I, I think this is kind of cool. The book of Psalms, it connects uh, with the uh, millennium. <clears throat> and uh, some of you know that uh, Moses himself wrote a couple of the Psalms. And so that was around 1500 B.C., that uh, Moses lived and and wrote uh, the first five books of our Bible. But he also wrote a couple of psalms. He wrote Psalm 90 and 91. And uh, then uh, you may not know the uh, Psalms of of Degrees. I think it's Psalm 120 through 134. uh, uh, Hezekiah, we believe, wrote uh, 15 of the Psalms and he lived around 500 B.C. So the reason I tell you that is uh, the book of Psalms took about a thousand years to write the whole book of Psalms 
And that, that's how long uh, the millennium is. The millennium is the thousand year reign of Christ. It's the seventh day. It's this uh, thousand years of rest. It's uh, a picture of the Sabbath day. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years. And the seventh day God rests. And so the millennium is a thousand years. And then uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are just about the wisdom of God. And then I'll just put the wisdom. And Jim just taught us on that. <clears throat> and then uh, the Song of Solomon is kind of like the honeymoon. It it's uh, it's really a great book about a love relationship that Solomon had with one of his wives. He he had many wives, but there was one that was very special to him, the Shunammite woman. And uh, so the Song of Solomon is all about that. And it's kind of like our honeymoon. It's a good uh, book to talk about marriage. And uh, anyway, just their, their love for each other. So anyway, that's kind of a lot. I've taken most of our time on that, but... This is still kind of introduction, but I wanted to get into the book a little bit. Anyway, that that's kind of meaty, but I just think it's cool. cool. Hopefully, you think it's cool too. Yeah, cool. I think this, when I see stuff like this, it's just like wow, the Bible's really God's just amazing. Yeah. And uh, all 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 of us need kind of a wow. I hope hopefully that what you got of this right here. It's kind of like wow, the Bible's pretty cool. And. Uh, so yeah, we're we're you and I are probably right here. We are right before the rapture, and uh, any day the Lord will say, "Come up hither," and uh, we'll be caught up in the twinkling of an eye, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So my teaching point there at the bottom of Roman number one is this: that we we are. We too are a type of something to be viewed by others. So, what are we a type of? Are we are we an example? Are we a figure of Jesus Christ? Hopefully, we are. We uh, we were watching a movie. No, it was uh, it was Blue Bloods. I don't know if any of you like that. We kind of like Blue Bloods. Tom Selleck. Yeah, Tom Selleck. But uh, his officer was in the hospital bed, and he tells her. You know who you are. Be that. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was kind of a good... So, if you know you're a Christian, be that. Be that. Be a Christian. So, a little wisdom from Tom Selleck. <clears throat> okay, now let's go to Job 1. Let's let's get into the, the book. It's somebody... Uh, Belinda, would, would you read verses 2 through 5... Read, read those four verses for us. We already read verse 1. Read 2 through 5. And was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep and three thousand hundred, and five hundred yoke of oxen, and five hundred sheep and a very great cluster. So that his name was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in the houses. Every one who day, and sent and called for their two sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of the feasting were gone about, 
the Job sinned and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning and offered them offerings according to the number of them all. The Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in the heart. Thus did Job continually. <coughs> all right. Thank you, Belinda. And what did we say uh, that the word uh, eschewed evil means? Yep, he hated or he uh, he found it distasteful. So I, I actually put this word in your next blank. This uh, yes. Uh, even even though s chewed, yeah, it's, it's got the word chew in it, and we seen a definition that that meant it was distasteful to him. So uh, I wanted to give that to you again. Just another word, just that's very meaningful. And it was at this point I was going to show you some maps about where this land of Uz was. I think I'll bring that up next week because there's something I wanted us to see on that. But in verse 2 that Belinda read, he was the greatest of all the men of the East. So this Job was a king. We said he lived around this land of Edom in the southeast. He was really outside the promised land. Uh, it's believed he was actually a Jew, or no, a, a Gentile. I'm sorry, he, he was a Gentile man. And uh, we've seen a little bit of his uh, heritage. <clears throat> uh, but but let's turn your page here, because on the back side of your uh, paper, in your handout, uh, Job's wealth, his substance, he had these 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 1,000 oxen, 500 asses, and uh, so it not only says he was this great uh, man of the east, man of the east, but he also had all these possessions. And I don't know about you, but I would just guess, you know, it would take at least a hundred servants to care for all these things, you know, with land and probably some buildings and. Uh, so he had many servants, many uh, hired helpers, and he also had these children. I, I should have put that on there. The seven sons and three daughters, I believe it says. Uh, yeah, there. And then when it, when it mentions everyone his day. There's kind of two ways you could take this. So they, there was a day when they were his sons were feasting in their houses. Everyone his day. Uh, some people say it, it could be that they were just kind of taking turns. You know, this month we're going to have a, a get together at your house, and next month it'll be at mine. But uh, turn over to uh, chapter three. Just turn a page over to somebody. Read chapter three, verse one. Uh, Philip, do you have that? Job 3 1. After this opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. Yeah, so he cursed his day, and uh, m- most of us. Uh, 
they believe that he was cursing the day of his birth and it's going to be kind of evident in chapter 3 that is so uh, I had you put the word birthday in the blank so when it says his son, they were feasting every man his day it was probably meaning that on their birthday they had this get together and we, we still do that t- today most of us don't we we have some kind of luncheon or get together for our birthdays and so I, I believe that's what it's talking about. <clears throat> and then in verse uh, 5, and, and maybe there could be a little discussion about this, but what Job did in verse 5, it says, Job sent and sanctified them. He rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Uh, that, I mean, that that's a righteous man that would do that. But uh, what do you think it means there that he, he is sanctifying his children? I, I don't believe that what he's doing is going to save them. But what, what do you think it means? What do you think, Belinda? We just set a certain time. Mm-hmm. Pray for each one of us. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. It's like God, you know, help help my son. They might have sinned. They yeah. He even offered a burnt offering for them. What, what were you thinking, Jim? Well, I think I think it's interesting. How did he know to do that? Yeah. I mean, and that, that goes back to the chart that you showed us in the beginning. Uh-huh. From word of mouth, because Seth, Adam's son, uh-huh. my dad would do sacrifices. And mm-hmm. My brother Abel got killed. Yep. Uh, passed on down by word of mouth to Job. Yeah, this is before the law. Before anything was written down. And so he got this example from his. That, yeah, that we should give. You know, bird offerings. Bird offerings and then and praise and honor the Lord through that. That's good. So that's, so, yeah. Turn with me to the New Testament. Uh, this was my teaching point that we should sanctify our children too. Let, let's, uh, let's talk about the New Testament a little bit right now. And this is a. Here in 1 Corinthians 7 is really a chapter about marriage and remarriage and divorce. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 7. And uh, Pat, would you mind reading 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 14? It says, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean. Yep. But now, First Corinthians seven fourteen. Sorry, hold up just a minute, Pat. Start start again. Uh, Sorry. Yep. It says, "For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy." <coughs> And so, in this verse, it's saying that, uh, and that this this is not true of us, but 
if I was believe if I was an unbelieving husband and my wife was a believer, uh, it would be best for our children that she stay with me, so that. Uh, I didn't pull the kids out of away from her, and she doesn't pull the kids out away from me, uh, and, and and vice versa. If she is unbelieving, if she's lost and I'm saved, it would behoove me not to divorce her. It's for the children's sake. Uh, in other words, it provides an avenue that not only could the husband become saved because of the wife's testimony, but it would allow an avenue for the children to know the Lord because mom stayed with dad type of thing, you know. And so that that's kind of my understanding of this verse. And uh, it's kind of the way with, with Job. He is trying to sanctify his children. Job is a God-fearing man. He is perfect. He's upright. He fears God and he finds evil to be distasteful. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to chew it or taste it. And so uh, he is up sanctifying his children and, and it's good for us to sanctify our children too. Amen. And uh, how, however that I just thought that was a good uh, New Testament example, but uh, I, I want to read this next section. Let's, let's go back to Job uh, 6 through 12. Jim, do you care to read all those? Sure. So th- this is God's interaction with the devil. So th- this is a pretty key. Uh, no, Job chapter 1 and verse 6. Let's go. 1, verse 6 through 12. Yeah, 6 through 12. <coughs> Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Well, then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hand, and his substance is increased in the land. But pour forth thy hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in my power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Okay. Now in verse 6, when Jim talks about, uh, the Bible talks about the sons of God, uh, this little phrase, sons of God, it, it appears five times in the Old Testament. And uh, what I want to do is talk about that when we get to Job 38. Because that that's really a key thought to this whole book is these sons of God but I, I want to kind of table that so I'm glad we kind of run out of time today because I, I want to talk about it when we get to Job 38 but uh, just all I would like to say today is that these are spiritual beings and uh, a, a reference to angels to, to spiritual beings these sons of God 
I mean, you can tell that the, the devil's with them. So the devil uh, is uh, Lucifer that fell. And does anybody know what the word Satan means? The devil or Satan? Do you know what that means? What do you say? He is a deceiver. That's, but it, uh, it's in the Revelation 12 where he's the accuser of the brethren. He, so he he is the uh, the accuser of the brethren. He is a deceiver. He's a liar. He's a murderer. <clears throat> All these things are true. Uh, and then it says that they came before the Lord to present themselves. And I was hoping we had time to look up a couple references here. We we really don't, but before the Lord, uh, kind of the first mention is where uh, Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And there's several references. I, I underlined a couple. If you could look up that on your own time, but it kind of means like in your face. It, it was it's not a, a good thing. So uh, so it's like maybe God forced them to come into His presence. And but they're they're very anti anti God, um, and I gave you some references there. So as we read that, it's like yeah, they came before the Lord, they walked up to Him, but it's it's more than that. And then it's really interesting that uh, when God asked Him where is He coming from, Satan answered that He was going to and fro and up and down in the earth. And uh, there's a reference that God, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth uh, looking for a man whose heart is upright and perfect before him. And so it's kind of interesting that Satan's walking to and fro, but the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. There, there There's even a difference there. So anyway, I gave you some references for that and the perfect man, but... Let's uh, kind of conclude here with this this chart on your handout. And let's read these. So the devil's reasoning is if, if or since Job is blessed by God, that's why he's faithful. And his reasoning is if God stops blessing Job, then he's going to be unfaithful. Does everybody see that as Jim was reading? That's kind of satanic reasoning, and and we, we see that in people every day, don't we? It's like, well, God didn't help me out of this jam. It's just, heck with God. He didn't help me. He didn't bless me. And then human reasoning is similar. It's like, if Job is faithful, then he will be blessed, and, and that's maybe not fully untrue. And if Job is unfaithful, then he will be punished. I mean, that, that's what his three friends end up saying for the most part. But, but godly reasoning is God blesses his faithful, but not always how we think. In other words, he has a greater purpose. And even if we, we as Christians believe not, in other words, if we're unfaithful, yet God abideth faithful. He cannot dis- deny himself. And so I've heard that even recently. Uh, things like, well, this Christian is just so backslidden into sin that you know uh, God's not going to be faithful or bless him. Well, he he is a child of God, and 
somebody look up that Proverbs 28.20. Uh, Angie, Angie, would you read, look that up for me, Proverbs 28.20. And I'll give you your last blank because we're out of time. But my uh, teaching point there is just that God is sovereign. And that's a kind of a, a big word that... Oh, if I spelled that just right. Sovereign. R-E-I-G-N. Do you think there's an E in there? Or rain. Like rain, okay. So that was my last blank. Do you have Proverbs 28.20? Yeah. Faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. So that the, the verse Angie read, a faithful man shall ab- abound with blessings. So God does be- bless faithfulness. But maybe not how not how we necessarily think, because Job does get blessed, but he does suffer uh, a lot as well. And then this uh, last blank about God being sovereign, uh, as we can see here, God is still in control. He he allows the devil to do these things, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, and you know the word devil, if you take off the D, is evil. D evil. And so God allows the devil to do evil, but God is still in control. God knows uh, what is happening to you and I. So he, he knows that Job is a perfect man and upright. He fears God. He has choose evil. He will never leave or forsake you. And he he doesn't leave or forsake. He doesn't he just uh, Job has to wait. And Job, uh, God will not let you go through more than you can handle uh, with His help. So He, it may be more than you can handle, but not more than you can handle with His help. And so anyway, God is sovereign. He's he's all-powerful, all-knowing. He's everywhere. And uh, anyway, hopefully that's... That's all of our lesson today. We'll finish chapter 1 next week. I, I hope to do one chapter a week uh, after this. So that, uh, you know, it's just... I heard a, I heard this week that there's a guy in England that taught on the book of Job for 23 years. Oh, God. <laughs> and so, could you imagine maybe uh, leaving the church, going to another church, and come back 20 years later and we're still teaching on the book of Job. So we are not going to do that, but... Uh, I, I heard that to be a true story this week. So let's uh, pray. Well, that's positional teaching. <laughs> yeah, well, that was covered everything, I would think. So, uh, all right, let's pray and we'll be uh, dismissed. And I'll close this off.